So um, sometimes you learn a, le- a life lesson. This morning, I did something I've done a whole bunch of times. I went to McDonald's on Sunday morning, got me a large Diet Coke, bought my wife a small caramel frappe, had a new pair of pants on, life was good, wasn't raining yet, that would have helped a lot, and just trucking on down, and, and then I negotiated my house keys with the frappe and my Diet Coke, and the frappe was introduced to my black pants in the driveway. Crystal said, did you get it in the truck? I said, I'll just get truck you know, to do that clean the truck up. I'm just kidding. But um, I believe I need to kind of do that a little better. Um, what I did was I put, oh, she just walked out. So don't tell, because what I did was I put the frappe on top of the Diet Coke with a straw in it, because I thought my hands would be steady enough to hold it. My hands were steady, but my body was not. So that's what I did. You know, we believe we can do all kinds of stuff until you find out you can't, but the truth is, Believing in something is really, really important. It's important to have something or someone to believe in, right? Um, We are in a political season, and I don't really talk much about all that, but here's what I know. There are people that believe in their political ideology, regardless of what it is, and, 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 and so much so that some people believe in it so with such fierce loyalty that if you're not one of them, there must be something wrong with you. Now, that's a power of belief. Our way is the right way, and if you don't believe my way, there must be something not right about you. A lot of people believe in the company they work for. They believe in their teams. I mean, the rallying cry of every team when the first game of the season is. You know what it is? This could be the year. In some cases, it's like, this could be the year. I've got a friend who their rallying cry is, this could be the year we actually win a game. That's their rallying cry every year. And about five games in, he's going, this could be the year that we'll wait till next year. So you just never know how things will go. But we believe in things. And so years ago, uh, I was in Trenton, New Jersey on a missions trip with our youth ministry. I was in Tennessee and uh, and we were up there, and we met. A, we hung out for a week at this um, this shelter and this kids shelter. And so we met a bunch of kids. And every time we would go somewhere, the kids would sing this song. Right? So you may re- you may recognize the words, you may not. If you think I'm going to sing it, you don't know me. Uh, but it says this: If I can see it, then I can do it. If I can just believe it, there's nothing to it. I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every night and day, spread my wings and fly away. I believe I can soar. I see me running through that open door. I believe I can fly. They sang that song almost every day. And then I found out they literally sing that song every day. These kids' life is, is, is just kind of has, has, has you know, dumped a pile of rocks on them, and, and they've been from horrible backgrounds. But this song was a source of hope for them. They, they believed things could get better and would get better. Now, when I was a kid, I would rush home from school every day because I wanted to watch the monkeys. Now, the monkeys were old and rerun back then when I was a kid, but they had this song. Maybe you're, some of you will recognize this. I thought that love was only true in fairy tales, meant for someone else but not for me. Love was out to get me. That's the way it seemed. Disappointment haunted all my dreams. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. 
Not a trace of doubt in my mind. I'm in love. I'm a believer. I couldn't leave her if I tried. I know you're waiting for me to sing that. That's the one that gets me, though. I have to be careful about that one. So here's the thing. We need stuff to believe in, right? And, and we believe in things, and there's all kinds of levels to belief. There's like the things you believe in that are, that are good for you, but they don't really move the needle. And there's some really important stuff. For example, when it comes to my family, I believe in my marriage. I believe in my kids. I believe my little granddaughter is going to change the world. I believe she's going to be a force in God's kingdom, and there's not a person on the planet that can convince me that's not going to happen. That's what I believe. And I'll bet you there are people just like me who believe that about their kids and their, and their grandkids and so forth and so on. I mean, we believe certain things, but the truth is there are some things really important we believe in. So here's just a few things that I believe in, and, and, and maybe you do too. I'm, sure, I'm assuming that most of us do. For example, I believe in the sanctity of marriage. I, I do. I believe that marriage biblically is between a husband and wife. I believe in that. Uh, I believe that's the way it's supposed to be, but you know a lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people, they don't, they don't believe that. I believe that the work of the church is the most important work on the planet. And, and let me and I say that with no apology. So with all due respect to whatever you do for a living, and I'm sure it's great, I think what we do matters more than anything else. Because what we do determines how we live when we go to work every day when we go do the things we're supposed to do. I think what we do is the most important work on the planet. A lot of people don't believe that. You know how I know that? Because the average Christian, according to George Barner, comes to church 19 times a year. I think it's important. I think outside of my relationship with God, my greatest family, my greatest ministry priority is my family. I think outside of God, my family is my greatest ministry priority. I'm unapologetic about that. I think that's biblical. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, it's really clear when you look around. A lot of people don't see the world that way. I believe God's a creator of everything. And, and for that reason alone, if I don't, if I had to, if for that reason alone, he's worthy of my allegiance. Now, I can give you 150 reasons why God's worthy of my allegiance. That's just one. He made everything. There's nothing you see that he didn't make. And so someone will go, hey, what about a car? Well, he made the people who made the cars. I'm giving God credit for that. You don't want to, that's fine. That's the dance. You want to dance, that's great. If God is the creator of everything, God made everything. It's just how life is. I believe Jesus died on the cross to save my life, rose from the dead, and is preparing heaven for me and a bunch of people like me. That's what I believe. A lot of people don't believe these things. It's important to have something to believe in. And, and there are things in your life that you believe in, and you kind of, we, we wear them like they're this badge of honor, right? I mean, that's, we believe in this, we believe in that. And that's kind of what a believer is. So I want you to consider this, the definition of a believer. A believer is someone who has confidence in the truth, the existence or the re reliability of something, although without absolute proof that no one is right, in doing so. That one is right in doing so. In other words, here's what it means. When I tell you that I believe my granddaughter is going to change the world, I can't prove it. I, there's no statistical evidence that I have. 
I can't point to anything. It's just what I believe at the core of who I am. That's what a believer is. When you believe in something, you have confidence in something without absolute proof that it's true. And that sounds really great. And we identify ourselves in our culture as believers, right? I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. Um, if you meet people and, they, and they'll tell you they're a believer, a lot of people can't tell you what that means, but they'll tell you they're a believer. And a lot of people say they're a believer and they'll say they're a believer in Jesus. And that all sounds great and good. But so here's the rub. And here's what, this kind of what we've been talking about for the next few weeks. This is the rub. And this is what I want you to think about. It is not enough to just believe in something or somebody. It's not enough. Now, maybe you're thinking, that didn't really sound right. And that didn't look right. But it's absolutely true, and it's absolutely biblical. It's not enough just to believe in something. It's not enough just to believe in someone. There's got to be more to it than that. And here's how I know. Because the writer of James says that's the way it is, right? So this is what we see in James chapter 2, verse 19. It says this. Uh, the writer says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Next line, scary. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. James says, Hey, you say you have faith because you believe in God. Hey, that's great that you believe in God. That's awesome. Guess what? Guess who's just like you? Demons. They believe in God, but here's the difference. They're afraid of God. They believe in God. They believe He's real. The message, which is not a translation but a paraphrase, says it this way. Do I hear you prophesying to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complete, complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? So this is, and this is tough, man. This, this, is, this is a tough thing. And so we're going to kind of talk about this as we kind of work through this. Because what James tells us is it's not enough just to believe in something or somebody. That's what James says. By the way, this is James, the brother of Jesus, James. He says it's not enough just to believe in something or someone. There's got to be more. Because if all you do is believe, we're no different than a demon. And that's not my words, those are his words. So when you put it all together, this is what it means. There has to be some evidence in your life that what you say you believe has an impact on the way you live. That's the truth. There should be some, so this is what James is saying. There's got to be some evidence that what you say you believe in actually changes the way you live. There's got to be some evidence that what you say you believe in has an impact on your values, on your ethics, on your priorities, on your decisions, on your family, on what's important, on what's not important, on how you live, on who you live for. James tells us that it's not enough to believe in something. You can believe in something, but if it has no impact on your life, how is that any different than what a demon does? Who believe and the almighty creator of everything, but follow Satan. That's tough. This really became really, really clear for me about 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, um, I was on vacation, and when I go on vacation, I take books. I used to take a book, though I learned when you read it fast, you have to go to the store and buy more books. So I take a bag full of books. My goal is just to read until I'm done. 
Sometimes I read them all, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I read them all, then I go back and reread it again, and then sometimes I go back through and I get my pen and I start writing and stuff. So 10 years ago, I read this book called The Christian Atheist. 10 years ago, this summer, this book changed a lot of things for me. Now, the title alone, The Christian Atheist, seems kind of like an oxymoron, right? I mean, that's kind of, it sounds like, okay, you, a Christian and atheist, they don't fit together, right? I mean, it doesn't sound right. And so let's consider this. Let's look at the definitions. A Christian is a Christ follower. I mean, that's, that's what a Christian is, a Christ follower. Someone who's surrendered their life, committed their life, dedicated their life to Jesus. That's the def, that's what a Christian's supposed to be, right? An atheist is someone who denies that God exists. And so when you see the term, the Christian atheist, you go, that didn't really seem like it fits. And what drew me to this book, besides I really like the author, is when I saw the title, I said, I need to read that book. I really need to read that book. A guy named Craig Rochelle wrote it. He's one of my favorite writers and people to listen to, preachers to listen to. But this is, this is what a Christian atheist is, okay, in a nutshell. A Christian atheist is someone who says they believe in God but lives as if he does not exist. Tell me there's not a problem in our culture today. Tell me. People who say they believe in God, but live as if he doesn't exist. Live as if he's not real. That's what James is talking about. He's, James is talking about people who say they believe, who say they have faith, yet how they live doesn't, is not impacted by what they say they believe. Right? And so this is, when you kind of put it all together, now this is really harsh. I'm just, I'm just going to be up front before you see what comes next. But this is the truth. To say that you believe in God, but to not allow Him to impact your life is no different than how demons see God. That's as biblical as biblical can be. It's as truthful as truthful can be, and it's as harsh as harsh can be. But that's what James is saying. That's what he's talking about. That's what this series is about. We say we believe our life should match what our words. Doesn't mean it has to be perfect. We'll get to that. Doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. We're definitely going to get to that. But it means how you live, who you live for, the priorities of your life should match up with the words that you say. So when you say you believe in God, your life should show that on some level. Because if it doesn't, James says that's what the demons did. So here's, so, so when trying to figure this out, how can we kind of figure this out? How do I figure it out if I'm on the life of a Christian atheist? That's the question, right? That's the question. When I read this book the first time through, I said, you know what? I need to really understand this. How can I figure out if I'm on the life, the path of being a Christian atheist? Because quite honestly, I mean, books slapped me upside the head a bunch. So I read it and read it and then went back through it with a pen. I mean, it hit me pretty hard. So here's the question that kind of are jumping off point today. Here's, here's the question. As it pertains to God, do you know God or you just know about God? And there is a difference. Do you know God or do you know about God? 
it cracks me up and it happens all the time when somebody, you know, if, if you're like me, there's TV shows you really like and there's shows I really like and there's shows that I, I record them all the time because I like watching them and I don't care if I've seen it a hundred times, I'm going to watch it. Just there's shows I like. And we fall in love as a culture with characters on TV. We fall in love with a character they betray and sometimes we're absolutely shocked when we find out the actor... It's nothing like the character. How often has it been that some actor plays this role on TV and he's this wholesome or she's this wholesome person, and then you find out they're nothing but? And we're shocked. And the question is, why are we shocked? We don't know anything about them. We just know the role they play on television. We, we see athletes and actors and politicians and they make all these sound boxes and we go, man, that sounds great. But then you look at the, the rest of their life and you go, man, it's not, it doesn't match up. I thought they were different. Why? Because they gave a speech. You see, there's a difference in knowing who God is and knowing stuff about God. And so I want you to look at this through the, through the, 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 the eyes of Facebook, which is awesome and horrible at the same time. I was slow to get on Facebook. I made fun of people who were on Facebook for years, and now I'm on Facebook. So be careful what you make fun of, right? I looked uh, the other day, and I have 980 Facebook friends, which some of you are going, that's it? Um, and some of you are surprised I know 980 people. So let me make it easy for you. I don't know 980 people. So my Facebook friends are in categories. I have a bunch of preacher friends that we share some ideas with and post stuff and all kinds of things. And these are some preachers I know because I've got a relationship with them. And some preachers I know because someone knows someone who knows somebody. And that's kind of how it all works out, right? But we're all on the same team. So we share stuff and we look at stuff. So we, I've got that. I've got my family members, like my kids. Close family members. I got family members who are more like friends and family. I got friends who are more like family than friends. I got all my classmates, which I'm shocked. When I, when I, when I left Carrollton, Georgia, I never looked back. And I'm shocked of these people I went to school with, the way they lived their lives. And I don't mean like in a horrible way. I'm like, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming. You know, I've got a friend who's an elder in the church. I'm like, they didn't see that coming. And I messaged him one day and he said, you're a preacher. You need not talk. I said, okay, you got me on that. So here's the thing. Facebook's great for all those things. But you know, on Facebook, there's people you really know, right? And there's people, you know who they are. And if you're really honest, if, you're, if you are a, a, what I call a habitual clicker, that means if someone friends you, that'll be my friend. And you friend all these people and, and like, who is this? Well, they're your Facebook friend. I don't know who they are. How do they get to be my Facebook friend? Well, because you clicked it. No, I didn't. Well, someone did. And so that's kind of how it is with God. For some people, God is like a Facebook friend. And that's all he is. We, we, see, we, see, we see the evidence of his life. We know stuff about him. He's kind of, we, we like following him. You know, the, the things he says, but we really don't know him. And for some people, knowing God, is, it comes out of this intimate depth. This relationship where you're trying really, really hard to become more like Him.
and get to know him. There were people in the Bible who knew a lot of stuff about God. Rich young ruler. Knew a bunch of stuff about God, didn't really know God. And there's a couple guys who really knew God at a special, special level. Two people stand out. When you look at people in the, in the Older New Testament who had a special relationship with God, to me there's two that stand out, Moses and David. They had a special relationship with God. And if you really want to get firsthand, if you want to see what an intimate relationship looks like, go back and read through the life of Moses. Read through the Psalms. And look at their lives, and what you see is, I mean, they live their life, their feelings are on their shirt sleeves. Look, if you read through the Psalms, when David's having a bad day, it is not a secret he's having a bad day. When he's a little sideways with God, it's not a secret he's sideways with God. His relationship is right there for you to see. And maybe if you look at it, you go, man, I kind of, I kind of can relate to this. It's like a yo-yo. Absolutely, it's like a yo-yo. David and Moses knew God in per, a personal way, despite their failures, which we'll talk about, despite their flaws, despite their successes. He made a difference in how they lived. And they were both incredibly flawed people. Here's what I'm saying. If you say you believe in God, then live your life as if he's real. And is making a real difference in how you choose to live. That's what I'm saying. If you say you believe in God, live like He's real. Live like He's making a difference. Live like He impacts your values, your priorities, your ethics, your, your family, your job, how you treat people. If you say it, as my daddy would say, used to say, if you're going to say it, you might as well do it. If you're not going to do it, you need to stop saying it. Which is His way of saying you straighten up. This is what John tells us in 1 John. He says this, We can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and the truth is not living in, is not living in truth. So, before we go any further, these aren't my words. These are John's words. But I'm on board. John says there's a lot of people who say they know God, but they don't do what He says. They don't live like He's real. person's lying. Lying to themselves. Not lying to everybody else, but lying to themselves. Verse 5, But those who obey God's words truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. If you say you believe in God, it should make a difference in how you live. If you say you believe in God, then who you live for should be evident to people doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. In fact, that's kind of the, the great struggle because for some of us, we kind of, we, we kind of have this battle with, with this battle. So, so let me give you a couple things, right? So if you're trying to figure out what road you're on, think of it this way. If you're trying to fit God into your life, instead of fit your life into His plans for you, you might be on the road to being a Christian atheist. If you're trying to fit God into your schedule instead of you fit your life into His, right? If you say with your mouth you believe in God, but there's no evidence in your life, you might be on the road to being a Christian atheist. You might be. 
If we're going to say it, we need to do it. And I think we need to do it, and I think we need to say it. But here's the thing. When you live your life in a way that, that demonstrates you follow Jesus, you, know, you don't have to do ever. You don't have to say it because it's obvious to people. When you live your life in a way that, that people can tell there's something different about you, that you don't have to tell them all. But if they give you a chance, you should. They crack that door open. So here's the greatest problem, I think. We have people who say, I want to follow Jesus, but here's my problem. I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I'm afraid that, that, that I kind of walk on hands, pins and needles and, because, and, and eggs and whatever else you want to walk on because what if I really commit myself to this and I mess up? What's going to happen then? So let me put your mind at ease if that's you. You are absolutely going to mess up. Absolutely. What if I fail? Let me put your mind at ease. You are absolutely going to fail. And here's the caveat. It might be epic. I mean, it might be something that, you, that sticks with you for a long time. It might be public. People may see your failure. Doesn't mean you don't love the Lord. Doesn't mean you're committed to the Lord. It means we all are going to mess up. This is not about, life is not determined in the highs and the lows. It's determined in who we live for every day. Five years ago, five years ago, I'm coaching boys soccer at uh, Elbert County. And I know if you're a school employee, you're wondering, well, how could you coach? That's kind of the deal we had. I had a certified who was in charge, but she turned me loose and I was the coach because that was kind of part of the deal. She wouldn't take the job without me, and she said, you're the coach, you do what you want, whatever you say, I'll back you up. And about a month of, into the season, she said, stop asking me stuff. You just do what you want, I've got your back. So we're playing, we had a brutal schedule. So let me tell you from a coaching perspective, if you ever coach kids in anything, especially at a high school sport, if you've ever been a coach and you know when the game starts, you don't have a snowball's chance of winning. And if you play the best you ever play and the team you're playing plays the worst game in the history of the thing, you might win. That was our team the first year. We played in the toughest region in AAA. Um, all four of our teams that made the playoffs went to the third round state. Two went to the final four. Two went to the Elite Eight. One made it to the championship game. Um, we played, I think, 12 playoff teams that year. It was brutal. We didn't have a chance to win a game. And not in region. Not ever. We didn't have a chance. I knew that. Kids didn't know that. But I knew that. And so we were playing Oconee County, which was at the time kind of a big rival. And Oconee County was the number one team in the state. We had just played the number two team in the state the week before. These two teams were played in the state championship, by the way, later on. Oconee County had never lost to Elbert County Wait, let me go back. Elbert County had never given up less than 10 goals in their history to Oconee County, ever. Boy, ever. And I was determined that was not going to happen this year. So two days before our game, I made up this funky defense, and I said, for 75 minutes, we're going to hold the fort, and we're going to try to tie or win, because I knew if we tied them, that'd be a win. But I also knew we couldn't give up two goals. Because we couldn't score but one, maybe. 
40 seconds, a minute left in the first half. This kid walks over to me who just come off the field, and he goes, Coach, I can't believe this. I said, what's that? He says, 1-0. We've never been this close to Oconee County. And, you know, when, you know what happens in life when someone does that, right? And like, man, it's, y'all are playing great. I'm proud of you. And he walked away. 40 seconds in the half, I look up, and this dude fires a rocket shot from like 25, 30 yards out. And I don't know if a professional would have stopped it. It was a shot. It was a perfect shot to the back corner. And when he scored, I knew it was over in the first half. What I didn't count on was what was going to come out of my mouth. And it was loud, and it was awful. That's all I'm going to tell you. And as soon as I said it, you ever, you know, sometimes, you ever, you ever, if you've ever seen a person try to fish words back, I was trying to grab that word really fast. And then the next thing I thought was, uh, I wonder who heard that. And I looked over and the kids aren't looking at me like, um, what just happened? And the other coach is just overjoyed. They scored, so he didn't care. But you know what? I knew it. I did it. Here's the thing. If you commit yourself to following Jesus and you live like Israel, you are absolutely going to mess up. You're going to. It's what you do when you mess up that matters. It's how you handle the mess up. Following Jesus is not determined in the highs of the successes and the lows of the failures. Because we're going to have successes and we're going to have failures. That's just life. Everybody does. It's determined by how you live and who you live for every day. So if you say you believe in God, then live your life as if he's, actually, he's real and actually making a difference in your life. That's how we've been called to live. That's what James is talking about. Say you have faith. Say you believe. But it doesn't change how you live. Doesn't change your values. Doesn't change your ethics. Doesn't change your priorities. You don't live, you, you, you say you believe in God, but you don't live like He's real. Well, that's what demons do every day. So if you say you believe in God, our lives, our actions should match the words that come out of our mouth. The question is, why should you do that? I mean, that's the real question. I mean, why? I mean, why should I do that? So let me tell you why. Because God's worth it. Because the creator of everything is worthy of your allegiance. Shaping your life into his values, absolutely worth it. Because he believes in you and he believed in you before you ever gave your life to him. He believes in you when you fail epically on a ball field. He believes in you when you have this amazing success. And here's how I know he believes in you because before we could do anything right, he sent Jesus into the world for us. Before he could get anything right, he sent the Lord into the world. And Jesus loved us so much, believed in us so much, he gave his life for us. If you're going to say you believe in God, we have to live like he's real, like he's making a difference in our life. And there's got to be some evidence that what we say matches with how we live. Father, we are uh, 
so often in life, we get so caught up in, in the moments. We live by the moments, and, and in the moments, we make mistakes. In the moment, we don't get everything right. In the moment, we fail. Sometimes we, we approach following you as if it's some epic burden, some, some mountain to climb, when the truth is you've invited us to follow you and change and obey and grow as we go. Lord, so many people, so many people say they love you, they say they believe in you, but when we look at our lives, there's no evidence that any of those things are true. It's not that they're not. There's just no evidence. My desire is that we make a difference in the people's lives that you put in front of us. We do that when what we say about you matches how we live. Lead us, strengthen us to live as a fully devoted follower, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.